Jesus has given the church a mission. The mission is to make disciples who live for Jesus. At Mission Church, we say our mission is to make disciples who live loved and sent to the glory of God. This mission consumes all we do and all we pursue. Living on mission, pursuing a loved and sent life takes commitment. It means we commit to mission all together for Jesus. It means we commit to maturity, all growing in Jesus. It means we commit to ministry, all gifted and serving Jesus. It means we commit to multiplication, all sharing generously for Jesus. When Jesus calls us to his mission, our pursuits are clear and our commitments are firm. It's all about living, loved, and sent to the glory of God. Well, good morning, Mission Church. Let's try it one more time. Good morning. Good morning to all of you who are on our Lancaster campus. Good morning to you, Myerstown campus, and to all of the folks gathering with us online who do so faithfully week after week after week. Friends, you got to know something. It's been about four Sundays since I've had the privilege to say these words. Come on. You know what's coming next. Grab your Bibles. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. And if you're fired up for God's word, say amen. Amen. There it is. Doesn't necessarily matter who asks you to turn in your Bible. It's just important that they do. It's important that the Bible and the scriptures are what is held high here. For it's in this book that you're opening right now that we believe are the words of living life. Jesus Christ communicated to us through this book. And I am just so encouraged. I hope you have been encouraged these last few weeks by all of our pastors who faithfully opened God's word and delivered it to us in a convicting, in a clear way. Will you just thank the Lord for the pastors of our church? And then this, our team, our team has been working on this for a year, actually. This is a year in the making. Uh, last January or so, uh, we sat down and said, listen, we got some things we're pursuing around here, but what is the end result? Like, what does it mean to actually be a disciple of Jesus? Uh, what is Mission Church? If we're going to be about making disciples, what do we want to see come alive? What are the commitments that we want to make? And we said this, man, We want to commit to the mission of Jesus with clarity. We want to commit to growing in Jesus for sure. We want to commit to ministry. We want to commit to multiplying all that you see and all that we do and all that you hear to the glory of God. And so each of the pastors have preached through one of the lessons in this booklet that you will receive today. We entrust it to you. Uh, You can study it self-guided as a follow-up to the series. But better yet, we would love and long for you to study it and discuss it in a small group. And so, as you heard in in the announcements this morning, if you are in need of a small group, please, 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 please let us know. This little booklet will soon be part of our membership process here at the church. Uh, because uh, the Lord continues to bless us with so many of you who are new to our church. But look, you've been on the fast track. You're caught up. You have uh, this uh, truth now entrusted to you because here, with all of the wonderful new life the Lord has given us, we want to make sure that we are clear about what makes this place what it is. It's Jesus. 
What makes this place what it is is a commitment to Jesus. Amen? What makes this place what it is is what we're going to study today. So let me pause and ask the Lord to be the one who instructs us now. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. Father, we're fired up by the work that you're doing. God, we're overwhelmed by your goodness, by your grace, the way, Lord, that you have called each and every one of us according to your purpose, the way that you desire for us to feel the love of Christ, the way for you have called us, Lord, to live that love and to go as sent individuals to share that love to a dying world that desperately needs it. And so, come on, God, please. We are asking today that you would seal in our hearts a commitment to multiply what we've experienced in you. Do it in this place. Go beyond these walls, beyond these internet screens, and Lord, make a mark through our church. In this generation, we pray in Jesus' name. And all of Mission Church said, amen. So here it is, week four. Week four, we are committing to multiplication. Let's get right to it. I believe that God desires to multiply, to multiply. Say multiply. I haven't done this in four weeks. All right? Say multiply. 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 He desires to multiply your impact. God has called you according to his purpose and he has a plan and he has a potency that he wants to get through you to this world. How do I know? Because our God is a God of multiplication. Our God is a God of multiplication. He is a God who has empowered his people from the beginning. He is a God who has worked through the hearts and the lives and the inclinations and the intellect of those who would lay themselves before him and see themselves as useful unto him. Come on, friends, think about this. To Adam and Eve, what did he say? Be fruitful and multiply. To Abraham, he said, I will make you a great nation. I will multiply your offspring like the stars in the sky, for there is a world to be reached. He spared Joseph and made him a leader so millions could be saved. He rescued Moses from a river so that a river could be parted and a nation could be set free. This is what our God does. He's a multiplying God. To King David, he gave a heart of worship which resulted in the Psalms. To Solomon, he entrusted wisdom so that every generation could read of the Proverbs. I've heard it said that we ought to just come to this earth, preach Jesus, and die. There's a measure of truth to that. But those who God has used faithfully over the generations and over the years, the impact of the Lord in them resonated and still continues to resonate throughout history. Our God To the prophets, he gave boldness to call the nations from sin. Jesus himself pulls Peter, James, and John from a fishing boat to make them what? Fishers of men. To Paul, Jesus himself, he blinds him on the Damascus road to later give him sight so that the Gentiles may see that which is eternal and can't be seen upon this earth. 
And to his disciples, Jesus said this, as the Father is sending me, now am I sending you. It is good that I go because a helper is going to come and I and my impact will be multiplied through the power and through the faithfulness of my church. So go, he says. And to all of us in our generation, Matthew 28, go, go, go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples. This is our charge. This is our call. This is what it means in our lifetime to live loved and sent, to grow as disciples ourselves, to pursue these things for sure. How do we say it around here? We are loved and sent to the glory of God. We are here making disciples who live loved and sent to the glory of God. And so to live loved, God gave us access by tearing the temple veil and allowing us to come into his presence through prayer. Have you prayed today? God's written a book, the Bible, to us because he loves us and wants to communicate his love to us. Passionate worship, the songs that we just sung, are merely a part of what it looks like to live a life fully worship-filled, adorning the Lord with every moment of your life. We live loved. And when you experience the love of Christ, the power of the gospel, now we move here to grow as disciples because we know we're sent We know the Lord desires to use us, and I want to be equipped. I want to be cared for and also have the capacity to care. That happens through personal, purposeful discipleship. Have you lived the gospel recently? Has somebody seen a difference in you? Has anyone asked you of the hope that is in you? It takes courage to do that. Some of us are uniquely gifted here for sure, but we're all called to do it. And then strategic church planting, oh, how we want to replicate the community of Christ around the world until every soul is reached, until every heart sinks to the Lord. This is our charge and this is our call. And as we pursue these things, we've already discussed, these are the commitments that we are making. Come on, Lord. Brand your mission into my heart each and every day. Lord, make me different today than I was yesterday. Oh, Lord, please. Lord, please reveal my giftedness unto me that I may be useful to you. This is my prayer, and now today we multiply. You see, true disciples know this. The mission doesn't end with us. All that I just talked about and all that happened in the Old Testament didn't all happen so that it could end here. Until the Lord returns, until the clouds rent, until Jesus draws us to himself, we have a mission. We have been reached so others can be reached. Friend, the point I'm trying to make is this. He's created you for impact. Can you see it? Ephesians chapter 2, you know this verse so incredibly well. By now, if you've been around Mission Church, if you're new, allow me to introduce you to an incredible verse. Listen, it's for by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. God plucked you out of your sin and darkness, and he gave you the gift of life. And this is not a result of works, because if it was, we would brag about it, but we can't. But now that God has saved us, verse 10 says this, we are his workmanship. 
When you start to dig into that word a little bit, workmanship, you can also read it this way. We are his masterpiece. We are his work in progress. He is perfecting us. He is still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Saved in a moment, sanctified over a lifetime. How do you know you're being sanctified? Multiplication will be the result. It's the gift of God, not of works. No one can boast. We're his workmanship. We're, he is working on us. We've been created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. We've been created for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Are you going to multiply? Yes, you are. How do I know? Because God already has a plan. You're going to make an impact on this earth? Yes, you are. You want to know why? Because before you took a breath, God knew what would be accomplished with your life. Are we on that? Friends, God created you for this. He's created you to make a difference. He's called you to be a light in a dark world. He's called you to speak sanity and clarity in the echo chamber of a confused land. He's calling us to love as he loved, to grow as he grew, to serve as he has served, and now, yes, friends, to multiply as he's called us to multiply. Today we're on this, multiply our impact for him and his gospel. We are here to multiply our impact for him and his gospel. But the question today is how do we do that? How do we multiply our impact? Well, we submit ourselves to Jesus. The same way we've committed to every commitment to this point is how we commit to multiplication as well. We commit to go as he went, to grow as he did to serve as he served. And now today we will multiply as he's called us to. For think about this. When God desired to reach the world and multiply his kingdom throughout the earth, what did our God do? When our God desired to multiply his kingdom throughout the earth and to reach the lost, what did he do? You know this verse. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he, come on, lift up your voice. For God so loved the world that he, God so loved the world that he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. How do we multiply? How did God multiply? He gave. The gospel, the very gospel itself, the mission of Jesus Christ commenced upon the generous acts of our God. And that same spirit of generosity is what is going to multiply the mission today. He desires for us to multiply our impact through a spirit of generosity. Which is quite different than what the world is calling us to for sure. Friends, making a true and lasting eternal impact always takes generosity and selflessness. It always takes generosity and selflessness. If you want to grow at something, you give yourself to it. So the question is, how generous are we? That was to ask you to pull out your generosity meter, which I don't think I will because this could get really awkward in here right now. How generous, like how generous am I with my time? Like, I can get a little protective of that from time to time. Anybody, anyone? There's a lot of demands on our time. It's really kind of 
How generous are you with your love? How generous are you with patience? How generous are you with kindness? Like, how generous are you with what the Lord's given you? How generous are you with your car, your home? How generous are you with your bank account? How generous are you? And there are times I think the, the, the meter kind of blips, and I, I feel kind of like, all right, Lord, you're moving the needle a little bit here and there, but I, I got to be honest, I get a little, I, I kind of want to preserve, I want to protect that which is mine. Anybody? That may be true of us individually, but I think what's absolutely remarkable this morning is that when I look at you as a church, like this needle is for, feels like forever going like this. This needle is forever hitting up. I have to tell you, church, when it comes to this particular commitment, I, I have to say, I'm blown away as a pastor by your generosity. What you see around us, what you experience on a Sunday morning, this is all a result of the Lord working in you. I know you to be among the most selfless people, and I have to tell you, it's not normal. You have an abnormal level of generosity as a church, and I say this, what an awesome privilege it is as a pastor to say, well done, but let's excel still more. Well done, let's praise God for all he's doing, but let's remind ourselves why we're so generous. It's not because of ourselves, that's for sure. Your abnormal generosity is multiplying the mission of God in unprecedented ways, even in this past year in the middle of a pandemic. Just consider this. We've moved forward as a church. We've moved forward in, in so many ways. Testimonies of online impact continue to pour in. 525 guests have identified themselves as visiting or partaking in a service in the last six months alone. As we gather on our campuses, 135 people, is, it's that number who are serving each and every Sunday as an act of service before the Lord. And then in the midweek, another 150 more are serving as small group leaders and, and children's and student uh, ministry leaders as well. It's not to mention the dozens upon dozens who are serving in the food pantry. And speaking of the food pantry, think about the tens of thousands of pounds of food that have been distributed and delivered, literally delivered to people's doorsteps. I want you to consider those of you who work so tirelessly with your hands over these past months and transforming what used to be a school into a house of worship. You, God is working through you. Cases upon cases of diapers were just donated this past month. More benevolence has come in and been distributed over this season than any other. By the way, there is still money in the benevolence fund. If you have need, let us demonstrate our generosity to the people of God. Please let us know. All of this, all of this while we're blown away that we remain 16% over budget as a church. Which is making it possible for us to move forward in missional advancement, which we never, which we thought was years and years away, practically speaking. 
As we praise God for these things, we're awaiting the arrival of Pastor Nate Newell and his wife Marie and family, a staff member who is going to be focused on missional advancement as a church, raising up ministry workers and leaders among us. Oh, what God would do. Oh, what God can do in these things. Friends, hear me. Listen as to why I'm saying this. This is the commitment that we're on. And I mention these things just to say praise God. I mention these things to say thank you, Lord. As a church family, you need to know what God is doing through you. Because of your generosity, the gospel is going forth. Disciples are being made. And God's grace, God's grace, God's grace is being seen in people's lives. Biblical counsel, biblical counsel is being poured into the lives of people and relationships are being restored. Oh, that more disciples. Oh, that churches will be multiplied. Oh, let it be done for the glory of God. And today, church, I want to say this. You are living proof that the road of multiplication is paved with generosity. The road of multiplication is paved, is paved, is paved by generosity. For you are paving that road. And multiplication is of us because the Lord is at work through you. And so I have this privilege today. I have the privilege to take you on the path that you've already been walking. And for some of you, this might be your first time hearing biblical principles of generosity and multiplication, but I want to assure you that God's grace abounds in this. And so, church, if you're ready, right, if you're ready to journey down the path of multiplication, which is formed by generosity, just just say, let's go. All right, here it is. First step. First step along this multiplication pathway is this. Multiplication begins with faithfulness. If we want to multiply, if we want to be a multiplying force for the kingdom of God, it's simply this. Multiplication is a matter of faithfulness. My first step, if I want to multiply and be generous and useful to the Lord, is to say this, God, I just want to be faithful. You should be turning your Bible now. At this point, I hope you found Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, this is a parable. If you're new to church, a parable is a fictional story that makes a true point. A parable is a fictional story that that teaches a true biblical principle and point. And so this now is the parable of the talents. If you went to Sunday school at all, you've heard this story. This is a doozy. Say doozy. Oh, it ends in some way, doesn't it? But Jesus is going to make a point. Here it comes. Matthew chapter 25. Well, the kingdom of God, well, it will be like a man going on a journey who calls his servants and entrusts to them his property. The kingdom of God... And the blessings therein are much like a, like a man, like a rich man who would go on a journey. And when he goes on this journey, he's going to entrust his property to his servants. So first and foremost, let's just stop here and, and, and make this point. Whose property is it? Say the master's. And what does he do with it? Say entrust. First and foremost, let us make this point. Everything we have On this earth is from the Lord. If we long to be generous, if we desire to make an impact, we have to step back and and, and open our hands and stop saying, mine. 
recognize that it's all His. Everything we have is from the Lord. Everything you own is on loan from God. James chapter 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above. It's coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of change. Everything I have to get here, everything I hold dear, I got from God. My family, my house, my bank account, my friends, my church, my job, my physical ability, my health, my body. We, I have been entrusted as a steward and he is calling me to manage well everything I have. Stewards. It's a person who's responsible for something that belongs to somebody else. And so the kingdom of God and the blessings therein are like a rich man who leaves and decides to entrust his property, which, by the way, can also be translated possessions. Think liquid asset. Verse 15. And he entrusts them to, to he entrusts the servants with his property. Now watch, watch, watch. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. Each one he gave according to his ability. Check out how the master distributes these. He said each. So it wasn't like the kingdom of God is not like a pinata. The kingdom of God is not like a pinata where God puts in all these resources and we all take turns bashing, bashing the pinata. And then when it breaks, we all scramble and, sue, and see who can get the most talents. Right? It's not even a game of steal the bacon. Like he's not going to line us up. He's not going to put the talent in the middle. You know, one go, two go, three go. No. He distributes each to each. How does he determine it reminds me a lot of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, when he says, before the foundations of the earth, I'd already knew, and I'd already determined. He's going to distribute it according to the way that he made you, the way that he created you. He knows your abilities already. And so what does it say? He distributed these talents according to the person's ability. No need to be jealous in here. Because it's not about how much you have. It's about what you do with what you have that counts. At the end of the day, God's not just going to see how many digits are in your bank account. He wants to know, what did you do, even if it's a little bit that I gave you? He wants to see the treasure that is stored in heaven. Those treasures, they don't have to cost a lot. Five, two, one. Now I'm just going to back up here because I think it is fair to say that we don't have to be like, we don't have to be jealous of one another, but we can feel bad. Anybody with me on this? Anyone feeling bad for the guy who got one talent? Like seriously, every time I read this thing, I'm like, what the world did this guy do? Like whose dog did he kick along the way? Like he's ticked somebody off. Got five, got two. How many did you get? One. How many? One. Come on, raise your hand if you, if you feel bad for the guy who got one talent. Because you're like, I think I'm him. Just go ahead. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right, so this may help you. A talent, a talent is actually a weight. When you hear the word talent, like, I think I can sing. Or, hey, I think I might be able to teach. Or, hey, I, might be, I think I have the talent of 
That's not what we're talking about. A talent is actually a measure of weight. A measure of weight somewhere between, scholars say, 70 and 80 pounds. So what you have here is 80 pounds. Now, in this particular scenario, you're probably looking at silver being a pretty common currency, which would be exchanged in that day. So you're talking about 80 pounds of silver. That is 20 years' worth of wage in one talent. Come on. That's about half a million dollars or so, depending on what you make, up to a million. Anybody feeling bad for servant number three at this point? Could anybody use about 20 years' wage about now? Friends, you got to check this. No gift of the Lord is little. No gift of the Lord is little. Nothing the Lord has given you. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. And if God has given it to you, he's given it to get it through you. He desires to use you because he's gifted you according to your ability. He's given you what you have because he knows you can make good on it. But you maybe haven't figured that out yet. And so we come back to the text. What's going to go down? He's entrusted these things. Notice the word entrust. The word entrust is very important because when you entrust something, you're expecting them to do good on it. Make no mistake, this master is expecting a return. You'll see it in the text. So he gave to each one according to his ability, and then he went away. Now watch, watch, watch. He comes back. Um, I'm, this is so, this is so um, my kids for sure. And he received five talents, went at once and traded them, and he made five talents more. And so he had the other two talents and made two talents more. But he who had, he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and what? Hid. Say hid. That word might be important. And he hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled the accounts with them. Here's the part where my kids show up. Ready, ready, ready? And he received five talents. He came running out to the front of the line. He said, hey, you gave me five, and here's five more. The servant who had two, up to the front of the line, he comes. He's like, hey, you gave me two, and I, and I got two. More. Look at the text, and I want you to notice this. Jesus' response to the two was exactly the same. His master said to him, verse 21, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, and now I'll set you over much. Come on, enter into the joy. Enter into the approval. Enter into the grace of your master. Verse 23, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I don't know. Verse 24. I kind of see it happening kind of like this. He who had received the one talent came forward saying, 
Master, I knew you to be a hard man. I know you to be a guy who reaps where he doesn't sow and gathers where you haven't scattered seed. I know you to be a man who entrusts resources to people. And I know as a master, and and you as a master, and I as a servant, I know how this relationship works, and I know that you, when you come back, you're expecting. As a master, you have expectations. The word hard here means he's persistent. He is strong. He does expect That's how the master-servant relationship works. I entrusted to you according to your ability, and you were to make it useful. You were to multiply it. But instead, now, here I come, and what is the first thing out of his mouth? I knew you to be a hard man. So I went and hid it. Why did he hide it? Do you see it in verse 25? Why did he hide it? Come on, tell me, just say it. Lift up your voice, say it. He's afraid. Really? What was he afraid of? Afraid of failing? Some of us might be able to relate to that. Afraid of losing it? Afraid of not being able to catch up with the other guys who had two and five? Fear of disappointment? The master distributed the talents according to their, what was it again? According to their ability. Let me ask you a question. How much ability does it take to go into the backyard, dig a hole, and throw something in it? Come on. How much ability does that take? You see, what's happening in this moment, if it really is fear, is that this guy is not only questioning his own discernment and ability, he's questioning the discernment and the wisdom of the master himself. You see, when you squander... That which the Lord has given you, when you grasp it and you're not willing to use it unto the Lord, in a way you're saying, Lord, you don't know what you're doing. You should have given me more. Why in the world would you give me all this? The Lord's given you exactly what you need to be useful to him. Not what's coming tomorrow. He's given you what you need today to be useful to him today. If only I had a little bit more time, I'd do. If only I had a little bit more to give, I would. If only if I, if only if I. Have you ever been entrusted with something and then just felt overwhelmed by it? For me, it's preaching. Like every Sunday when I'm done, I want to go crawl in a hole. But by discipline, you say, Gerald, go greet people. Go love people. 
The elders keep having you do this. Do it. Have you ever wondered why wealthy people still die bitter? Have you ever wondered why people who we perceive to be beautiful still live insecure? ever wonder why you see people with incredible talent and you wonder why in the world are they squandering their ability? The Lord's given you what you can handle. The Lord's given you what you can handle. Come on, step up. The only requirement is this, be faithful. The only requirement is this, is here, is this. It is be faithful. But here the servant instead says this, come on. Lord, I, did, I went in and, I, and I, I hid it and it's your fault. You never should have given it to me. I'm, I'm afraid. Check out what the master says. Verse 26. But the master answered him and said, you wicked and slothful servant, exclamation point, so I say it loud. What? He's like, really? Watch, 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 keep going. You wicked and slothful servant. You, you knew that I reap where I don't sow? That's what you knew? You know I gather where I don't put out seed? If that's the case, if that was really your motivation, if your motivation was knowing I was coming back for a return, then you would have put it in the bank. I'm calling. I'm calling you on it. The master calls him on it. He's like, if that's really your, if that's really your excuse... That you were afraid that I was going to expect more in return when I came back. There was a way that could have happened. By the way, how long was the master gone? How long? How long? What's the text say? A long time. How much interest would have been accrued over a long time? Depends on how long the time was, but let's say some. So why didn't he do it? Well, if you put the talent in the bank, whose name do you think it's going to go under, lest it be stealing? If you put it in the bank, who's the name going to be under? It's the master's money. It's the master's money. Therefore, it's going to go under the master's name. But rather, but rather, if you were to go bury it, if you were to go, actually, the word is hide it. The word is hide it. He went and he hid it in the ground and he pretended like it was never there. And he went on living his life saying, let's not talk about that 20 years wage that I have hidden in the backyard. You see, if the master doesn't come back now, guess who gets to keep the money? Guess who gets to keep the money if after a long time, oh, Lord, if only a little bit more, he would stay away. One of these days, I'm going to dig that money up, and it's going to be mine. You see what he's saying? He might as well say to the master, I wish you to be dead. And when we squander the riches of God, what we're actually saying to God, God, I would rather you weren't there. 
I'd rather he weren't there so I could go on living the way I want to live and doing the things I want to do. Many of you have struggled over the years with why was the master so harsh with this one servant? I don't believe he punished him because he was legitimately fearful and lacked faith. I believe he punished him because he was faithless. Because at the end of the day, what is the Lord calling you to be? Faithful. He simply wants you to be faithful. Two of the guys were working for the master and they couldn't wait to run up and show the master what they had done for him. Look, we were able to double it. Friends, the point is simple. It's not how much you have. It's what you do with it that matters into eternity. It's not how much you have. It's that you recognize that what you have comes from the Lord, that you're a steward, that you've been entrusted, that we don't have the privilege to sit on anything without a discussion with the Lord. When we hoard and squander what God has given, we deny him. God knows your ability. He knows your ability. And he's given all of us exactly what we need to multiply, to multiply our impact for him. So point number one. Point number one is simply this. If you want to multiply and be generous, just realize it's just a matter of faithfulness. Here's the second. Once you understand about faithfulness, then this is super simple. This faithfulness leads to an unprecedented freedom. This faithfulness leads to an unprecedented freedom. Turn in your Bible. Flip back to Malachi chapter 3. To Malachi chapter 3. You guys are like, oh, some of you are like, I've been around here before. I know what's coming now. This is that, this is that tithe text. It absolutely is. Friends, here's what I want you to understand. When we understand that it's just a matter of faithfulness, then there's a sense that our hands can open up and freedom can be ours as we're generous unto the Lord. Open hands leads to open doors of opportunity and impact freedom. What I want you to catch from this text is that generosity has always been a part of God's plan. Generosity has always been a part of God's plan and the lack thereof has always resulted in a luck. You see, the Old Testament called for a tithe. It was part of the Mosaic law. The law required the Israelites to give 10% of their yield as a first fruit offering to the Lord as a demonstration of worship and thanksgiving for this provision. But the problem is the nation was becoming a bunch of third servants. Think of it that way. The nation was becoming a bunch of third servants. They were taking what the Lord had given them. They were holding it to themselves. They were thinking of burying it, squandering it, keeping it. Here's what God has to say about that. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, God says. But you say, how have you robbed? How have we robbed you? The Lord says, in your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you, all of you. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Do you see the motivation? 
The reason why I want you to be good on this law that I've entrusted to you, Israel, is because I want the storehouse of God to be full. The motivation here in the Old Testament was even this. It was grace unto the worship of God. Here the Lord is calling them to give as an act of worship. Even there, their tithes would keep up the temple as, a, as an act of worship to the God. That was where they worshiped the Lord. Their tithes and their offerings would have provided resources for the festivals and the worships and the gathering together, the times of celebration. These tithes and offerings also would have helped the needy among them. Again, another act of worship to the Lord. The motivation of giving from the beginning was to worship their God. And so God says this, come on. I want you to experience something different. You feel what it's like when you're not generous. I want you to feel what it's like when you worship me and your generosity. He's saying, brings the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. He says, thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. I will not, see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. The principle in this is this. Test me, show. You can't outgive me. I've got you. You can't outserve me. I've died for you. Friends, hear me. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money. He wants you. He wants you. He wants your heart. But Luke chapter 12, verse 34 says this, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. I don't give to prove my love. I, love, I give because I love. Some parents could write that down. I don't give because I love you. I, I don't give to prove my love to you. It's because I love you that I give. Now here's the thing. Here's the thing. Hear me clearly. We rightly handle the word of God. We are a New Testament believers. We are Christians who are under grace. And here's what we know to be true. We no longer live under the ceremonial commands of the Old Testament. However, I will tell you this. The principle of the tithe predated the law. Nevertheless, here's what we have. Because we're no longer under the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament, this means that like the Sabbath, the tithe as a matter of Mosaic law has been fulfilled in Christ. Pastor, you better have a verse for that. I do. Romans 10, 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Romans 7, 6, but now we have released, we were released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way, the old written code. He, the Lord, is offering you the freedom that comes in faith. But now here's the deal. If God 
made a principled promise to a people who had to tithe as a matter of the law, how much more will the blessings of God flow upon those who principally give out of love and worship to the Lord? How much more will the Lord pour out his blessings upon those who give because they want to? Because they long to who see the principle and say, I want to use that as a baseline of my generosity to give unto the Lord. I may not be hitting it today, but oh God, that you would work in me because I know that I can't outgive you. It's not a have to, it's a get to. God doesn't need your money, but he wants you. Point three, then, when you understand that there's freedom in this. There's just freedom and generosity. The principle is as old as the tithe itself. It's just a, there's, a, there's, there's a freedom that comes and realizes, I get to do this. Then, then, then you'll see that this freedom, this kind of freedom is what leads to fruitfulness. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This is the clearest passage to the believer about giving unto the Lord today. Come on, here's what we got. Five principles as we land this plane. Five principles for generous giving. Five principles for fruitful generosity. Church, I commend you in this for you're a generous church. But here's what I see among us. Verse six of chapter nine. To this point, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. What is the Apostle Paul saying here? When it comes to generosity, your impact will equal your level of generosity, and your level of generosity will abound in the impact that you have. We'll reap what we sow, and we'll sow what we reap. The text goes on. I love this. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. He must decide. You must decide in your own heart what the Lord is calling you to do. The acts of service he wants you to complete. The people that he wants you to reach. The love that he wants you to extend. You have to determine in your own heart the amount that he longs, that he desires for you to give. And in some respects, you can look back at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 and say, what did God preordain in ages past for me to do in generosity today? How much did God plan for me to give today? Awesome thought. We must decide in our own hearts. Why? Verse 7, God loves a cheerful giver. Man, what a challenge this is. I've kind of always wanted to stand up and say, like, don't give unless you can smile about it. Every offering you give ought to bring a smile to your face. I know God's going to do something with this. Every act of service that you make, every time you show up for ministry, it's about your heart, it's about your heart, it's about your heart. And so when you come to serve and shake a hand, come on, Lord, give me the joy. Give me the joy as I generously do this. Lord, give me the joy as I drop this in. Here's the point. 
I'm not saying don't be generous. What I'm saying is pray and ask the Lord to give you the joy. And here's the thing. Sometimes, here's why I've hesitated on saying that. Because sometimes you got to be obedient to realize the joy that's coming after. You see, if I only did it because I felt like it, that's why I haven't preached that point. If I only do it when I felt like it, I probably wouldn't do it. But every time I do what I don't feel like doing, I feel a whole lot better when I'm done. Catch it? Pastor, I think you said to do it, not do it, do it. You can play that one back. Joy. This is a matter of joy. Churches are afraid to talk about it, but this is the unlocking of joy. Not to be afraid to talk about it because you're faithful in this. Now this. Here's, look what God says. I will make all my grace abound to you. I will make all my grace abound to you when you're generous. That sounds like that same principle from the Old Testament, doesn't it? We're not, we're not eisegeting that text. We're not pulling and dropping in. He says it again right here in the New Testament. I will make my grace abound to you when you're generous. And it says this, and so having all sufficiency, because I've given you everything you need. Now, come on, in all things, in all times. I, why have I given it to you? So that you may abound in every good work. So here's the point. Make no mistake, this passage is about money. But the principle of this text is all-encompassing. The Lord desires for us to be generous in all we do. I just long for us to be a generous church. To be generous in extending welcome to new faces when we see them, to be generous in showing the love of Christ to everyone we meet outside of these doors, that we would give of our time to those in need, that we would expend ourselves for the Lord, that we would want a spirit of joy, a spirit of joy to fill this place. When we clamp down, so does the joy. We long for all of us to feel the security of trusting the Lord to provide and protect us through all of this. And now this, let us be people that run to the need and not away from it. Let us run to meet the material and the spiritual and the emotional needs of those around us. Come on, we've all ducked a corner when we saw the needy person come near. And you gotta wonder, like, sometimes where'd everybody go? Because we are that guy or girl. And so, friends, here it is. This is fruitfulness. Freedom leads to fruitfulness. The path of generosity begins with faithfulness. This faithfulness brings a measure of freedom when you realize that generosity is a matter of grace and freedom. Now the fruitfulness of God can flow through you because you get to. It's a, I get to serve the Lord in this way. And now finally, this point four. It's this kind of generous that leads to a strong future. As I said before, I just want us to be known as a generous church. But generous for the things that matter most, people. And the way we reach people is by giving of ourselves. When you want to stop and think about it, the way we started this message is probably the best way to end this message because the, most, the greatest thing that God ever gave us was himself. 
And in return, I believe the greatest thing that we can give to this world is ourselves fully devoted to Christ so that the gospel can be adorned through us. We need Jesus. We need Jesus so that we can give the greatest gift that's ever been given, and that is the gift of Jesus himself. And so in this moment, as a final prayer, in terms of this commitment, we would ask ourselves, Lord God, would you give me more of you? Give me Jesus. Because as I experience the love of Jesus, I will be able to extend that love to those who need it.